What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> So welcome to week three edition of the Livingston Experience, celebrating all that is towel waving as part of the NBA. And uh, I'm joined once again by my uh, weekly colleague, Darren Hill. And as we've spent a bit of time watching some games today, uh, so we're going to cheer the fat today on a few of the games that we both caught. Uh, but overall, what's your, what's your, um, what's your, your takeaways been? from the first three weeks of the season, the first three weeks where the Bucks have been struggling. Yeah, it's been um, with the Bucks walking wounded. And I'll be honest, as I haven't even watched a full game, I can't bear myself to watch Thanasis uh, and Tedekumpo and Justin Robinson play 28, 28 minutes a night. Um, I got to put the Bucks admittedly down in league pass number, number 29 or 30 at the moment. But um Oh, look, it's impossible for me. I, I don't, um, there's still plenty of highlights though, Daz. Like, I'm just going to completely grab the spotlight and shine it right on Shea Gilgis Alexander. And maybe, and, and sort of the, um, uh, the satisfaction of watching the Los Angeles Lakers grind their way through a 500 record. And they basically played nothing but the Rockets and the OKC Thunder. So that for me is kind of the, the both Levingston moments here, Daz, was Shea doing the, the most remar remarkable things the other night against the Lakers and watching them. Uh, what are they down now, Daz? They're down by like 29 points. Uh, down by 32. Russ Westbrook, one of 13 from the field, six assists, six turnovers. Uh, and uh, AD went off with a stomach uh, illness. And LeBron obviously out already. So, uh, But they've still got another two Hall of Famers coming off the bench in Camelo Anthony and Dwight Howard. So there's all, yeah. the, they got five Hall of Famers, or yeah, future Hall of Famers, obviously, uh, we're projecting on that roster. And as you said, they've gone to a five and five record on a powder puff schedule. So um, yeah. real areas of concern, but uh, a couple of nice victories. The only two victories, by the way, OKC have all season has been against the Lakers in games that they were down by 26 points and 19 points both in the second yeah. half of those games. Yeah, and it just, um, it's hard not to use these first 10 games with the Lakers. We're, we're starting to get a sample set here, Daz, to forecast it out to those of us who were really pessimistic about this roster construction, what Rob Palenka was thinking, and, and say, my goodness, um, this team is still going backwards. They're not trying, they're not trying things out and trying to find combinations the way some teams are here early in the season where they might be sacrificing some W's um, at, at, you know, in order to get some, uh, just to get some lessons and find some things that work. But it's, it's hard not to see that about the Lakers at the moment where I was just joking to you before I jumped on the call that, you know, Russ has gotten that one of these gruesome stat lines tonight when the, the narrative was all about how he was one of the greatest floor raisers in the league and how Russ will, you know, talent wins out over fit Daz and how, you know, um, Brian Windhorst and at Al would have you, have you believe that as one of the greatest floor raisers, this is absolutely endorsed by LeBron James, who can perhaps play 60 games this year and still capture, you know, one of the top seeds because Russ can 
carry you on any given Sunday, so to speak. And well, looks like he can carry he can carry the the anchors of Carmelo Anthony and, and Dwight Howard to the bottom of the sea in Portland tonight, down thirty five. But um, yeah, it's just it's I, I don't mean to chortle about Lakers agonies, and but perhaps we should do that now before I chortle about Boston's <laughs> agonies death. And, uh, and reverse Livingston experience. Well, it's fashion, why but. it's why players make bad GMs because players love Russell Westbrook simply, I think, because he plays hard every single night and he puts up big numbers. And I think a lot of those players read the box scores every night and sort of get excited about seeing some of those things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the guy who's, a, we said it was a floor raise. I mean, you want to talk about floor raise, you talk about DeMar DeRozan. Like, he's not mm. a guy you want to trust you in the playoffs and in the big moments to sort of take you through the finals or anything, but he's going to give the Bulls, you know, five, six wins, maybe more this year that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten just because he's able to take over down the stretch and get some buckets while Zach Levine maybe not uh, hitting his shots as much or he goes to the bench. So that's a guy I see as a floor raiser. Um, I must admit, I thought Westbrook would be a bit more... Um, a bit more effective and he seems to be more and more, I guess, as, as his career goes on playing his way into these seasons. Uh, he started terribly last year in Washington and actually ended up playing quite well the last sort of 30 games or so of last season. So I guess if you're hanging on to something from a Lakers point of view, that's it. But what we've seen so far, all the worries that we would have had about the defense of this team, about the fit of the players next to LeBron, about LeBron's age and his inability now to get to the rim himself. He's sort of relying on three-point shooting, on Anthony Davis's uh, durability. Can he stay on the court? That hasn't happened yet. So all the worries, all the things you think could have gone wrong, have gone wrong. And yes, you look at the stands and go, well, they're only five and five. No one, there's only probably Utah separating themselves at the moment within that Western Conference. A couple of teams have been struggling record-wise, but the Lakers have got far the easier schedule. Um, of all of those teams and getting blown out again today by a Portland team that wasn't even playing that well heading into this game. So a lot of concerns there. And just on on the OKC side of it, there's great to see Shea, but Josh Giddy's also had a few games. I mean, he's been up and down in terms of the numbers he's putting up. But I really like the fact that in some of those close games, he's been in there at crunch time and he's actually been a guy that they're looking towards uh, and he got the key assist uh, the, to put them ahead in the first win that OKC had against the Lakers. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for bringing it back to where I began with the, in the positive moment. But you're right, Giddy also, just to finish that thought, what I see, that just I test stuff here, is he, he just seems to be in the right place, doesn't he, Daz, where... He, and he's got that, let's call it really super baby, baby LaMelo feel for the game where he doesn't play too fast. He doesn't play too slow. Um, he, he plays just right. Goldie blocks of the NBA <laughs> as I stumble across an accidental metaphor. But I, that's what I think so remarkable about Giddy is that he just looks like he knows how this game needs to be played. Which, um, which for me is, again, I, a big fan of Shea, um, not just because I've had him in fantasy, but writing him in fantasy for a few years. Um, but, um, but he's just such a fun player to watch. It's good for Shea where um, some of, I guess, some of the uh, NBA glitterati, you know, doing a bit of a hand-wringing saying, gosh, are you doing this kid a disservice by having, you know, uh, a deluxe G League around Shea? And is he developing, right? And is he going to get the right types of, um, you know, habits and skill development when he's surrounded by 
such you know just sort of substandard players so it's nice to see giddy at least be a bit of a counterpoint for him in providing you know some semblance of of energy and excitement in in in, in okc but where i began which for the r9 listeners in case you hadn't seen the highlights from the other night um is a two-point game with a minute left um pretty fun you know not exactly highest caliber but a fun as of any two-point games being played in, in Staples centers tend to be quite energetic and and Shays was doing some electric things at that point and um about a minute and 10 seconds left okay sees up to Carmelo Anthony had just drained a couple of threes to cut the lead down so the Staples is you know getting getting a bit frothy and and Shay literally just walks the ball up the court and shoots from the logo and that's not an exaggeration and, and drains it and basically silences the planet with, with that shot so um anyway um my lemonison moment of the perhaps of the season is that Shay shot as from the logo which put him up five with a minute to left and they they closed it out from there and uh, even in the the tanking times in okc um, you've got Giddy playing really fun and probably above what many expected of him and Shade just doing some peacocking a la mm. Steph Curry or Dame Lillard from, from midcourt. So that was my, my Levinx highlight. And Whoa. it so happened to co- coincide with the Lakers kind of stuck in March. <laughs> so double win. Well, my Livingston moments really have been following the, this rookie class, Daz. It's a really fun rookie class to mm. follow. And I've been enjoying the season. As you know, the way I watch these games is I follow the sort of scores online. If a game gets close, I'll go, let, let me get on and have a look at this. Uh, and I try and just sort of catch a little bit of action during my lunch breaks each day as well. And I've seen, so, and, and through that, some of these teams that are sort of tanking, they've still been in close, involved in some close games. And I've seen some Kay Cunningham. Early signs look from a statistical point of view, not great. But I like the fact that he's not afraid at the moment. He came in yesterday, hit a nice step back three in a close game against the Nets. Uh, and then he missed another, the next couple of shots and the Nets ended up pulling that game out. But I just, I like the swagger that he had and the confidence that he had to come into that moment. Um, Jalen Green's been a bit up and down, but if you catch, there's a moment where he goes for a dunk in the OKC game. And I think Poku actually sort of disrupted it and he, and he clanged it off the back of the rim. But does this, this kid can jump out of the gym. Like he just looked yeah. like he kept going up. Uh, it was like someone someone had sort of done some sort of CGI uh, on on the screen. If you've seen the dunk attempt, go to the the NBA um, the Ringer NBA feed on Twitter. It is just absolutely ridiculous how high this kid can jump. Uh, Mobley's showing some, and we discussed Mobley in our last pod. He's just showing some really nice touches. Uh, he's passing, his defense, his touch around the basket. He looks really, really good. Like he's putting up some some reasonable numbers for a rookie and they're winning games, the Cavs. I mean, they're six and four uh, off to a really good start this season. So there's encouraging signs there. And then uh, Franz Wagner had 28 points against Albert against the Timberwolves does, but he looked fantastic. Davion Mitchell started really well in the Kings. And the last player I'm going to touch on in this little part is Scotty Barnes. You've got to, if you haven't seen the Toronto game yet, they are worth watching just to see what Scotty Barnes is doing at both ends of the floor. And we, you know, both of you and I are fans of David Thorpe from East the End, Coach Thorpe, and that was his number one pick in the draft. And he re- he's one of those guys that I just think rarely gets it wrong when it comes to the draft. 
And that sort of got my attention. And you can see why the IQ that he has and just how engaged he is within the game by play to play. And Toronto have been uh, frisky themselves without Siakam. So that's been a nice start. I mean, have you caught any of the rookie class or who's jumped out for you uh, from, from the early days of that? Yeah, it's it's probably been um, I've been watching because the Bucks happened to play Cade, so I was quite, you know, I, I, it didn't pass the eye test either. If I'm honest, as but again, I think that was game his only second or third game of the season, so I did see Cade kind of grind his way through. A, it was a, I don't know a one for ten kind of night. It was it was not it was not great. A lot of things forced. Um, but yeah, Jalen Green has been fun when you when you get the flashes of him. Again, these games aren't terribly meaningful, but it's hard not to see a bit of a baby Donovan Mitchell in his game, that the ability to get separation and, and that elevation, um, that's been fun, but you know, he's not clearly not affecting, not affecting winning yet. Um, but um, you know what, I'm still going back and I, I'd love to say, we talked a bit about Mobley who's been that for me though, is I think for me, the story in Cleveland's more just how surprisingly well the big, all the bigs fit together, but I'm still sticking with my, um, with Davion Mitchell, where, you know, he, he's, he's just, he makes defense fun to watch to has. So I know Ty Bull, you know, a couple of years back coming into the league and Davion Mitchell now has got that, that mother-in-law defense. And so I find myself, um, I just can't get myself off of liking watching Sacramento Kings games, Daz. So well, he for me the... has been this, my ir- my irrational kind of r- rookie, sensation even though he's you know he's only playing about 18 20 minutes a night but dang is that is it fun to watch him like it's basically the opposite of buddy healed who's just the gunner right and you got davion who's just a grinder well i watched uh, the kings, still uh, i watched the king's hornets yesterday and the kings absolutely blew the hornets out of the water uh in that one and then uh Poor, poor Terry Rogier had Halliburton on him to start, and then Halliburton goes off, and David Mitchell comes on, and the guy just could not breathe on the court. Like he was just, they just env- enveloped him uh, right throughout the game, and he had a very poor stat line. And even Lamelo couldn't find his space. Like Charlotte couldn't find any space at all at one end, and then the Kings were just getting turnovers and long rebounds and just running down and running and gunning at the other end and couldn't miss. Uh, in the first half, so it was an entertaining game. If you're a, a Kings fan, I'm sure Hornets fans wouldn't have appreciated having 140 put on them. But Mitchell's looking really good at both ends of the court. But you're right, the defense, and that's the other thing about Scotty Barnes. I mean, I just watch Scotty Barnes just for the defensive, and he's got yeah, there's a bit of Draymond Green about him, Daz, because he just, in terms of he puts himself in the right spots, and he can actually guard one through five. And there's not too many players in the in the NBA that can actually do that, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah, and they've won some games too. I'll be honest, I haven't checked in on. I actually haven't watched Toronto. I'm going to complete confession here, other than other than highlights. But um, yeah, it's been fun where you've got the 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 second year class getting a lot of headlines as well, um, the sophomores. But yeah, the rookie class has been um, getting a lot of minutes and. I, I don't mean to um, steal the production notes, but just as you're talking through the rookies, what, what's funny is that what's probably standing more standing out more for me than the rookies does is the, are the dinosaurs who look really good. And I, so I like guys like Draymond Green is playing terrific and he's fit and 
and kind of doing doing everything Draymond. Jimmy Butler looks fantastic in Miami. Um, Kyle Lowry's fits like a glove in Miami so far. DeRozan, who you mentioned, you know, is playing hard and, you know, the Bulls are winning games. And Chris Paul played another, you know, 35 minutes tonight in a, a nice victory against Atlanta. It's like the the old dudes, Daz. It's, so it's kind of like part of me, like, yeah, I don't really have much sympathy for LeBron. You know, like, you know, like you're, you know, he's, like, granted, he's a little bit older than Jimmy Butler and, and Al, so it's not exactly fair, but it has a lot of the vets are are playing really well early in the season. So that's actually what's probably stood out more for me is that I haven't seen, I'm not seeing a lot of the the rest, you know, amongst a, a big cohort of guys yet. Mm. So I don't know if you kind of, if you, if you kind of glommed onto this as well, are you not, are you also a bit surprised that, you know, that these teams aren't kind of, you know, taking their foot off the pedal a little bit? Yeah, well, I think part it- of it too is that some of these teams haven't started that well. Like Phoenix can't afford to, uh, to take their foot off the pedal at the moment. Uh, Miami's been the team that surprised me because I thought Larry would almost play his way into shape and PJ Tucker would come there, you know, maybe with a little bit like, look, I'll, I'll turn up in the playoffs, guys. Don't worry about regular season for me. And they've both turned up and played really well. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that given what uh, the, the, the um, importance that Miami put on fitness and that Spolstra puts on fitness there. Um, so I'm, I'm not, and I'm not surprised that guys like, you know, Green and, and Chris Paul, et cetera, um, are playing decent minutes, particularly, as I said, with the Phoenix thing, they, they needed to start winning some games because they've lost a couple that they probably shouldn't have lost uh, early days. Another veteran guy does to keep an eye on uh, is Thad Young at the Spurs. And I only say that just because I think one of, he, he's a guy that fits on any of these contending teams. And I think, at some point, someone's going to talk themselves into him as that sort of small ball center. He's done it really effectively for San Antonio. And I'll tell you what, Daz, I've been watching the Spurs for 30 years and, and Popovich as coach for 20, 20 plus years of that. And I've never seen Popovich actually step onto the court and high five someone the way he did during play, the way he did for Thad Young the other day. So that's why I show you how much Popovich loves his game. Uh, he's just such a a high IQ guy and another one of these guys that just knows where to place himself defensively and he's really, really smart. You look, you think about a team like Phoenix, a team like Utah or even your Bucks, that's the type of player that you just love to be able to bring in. It's just going to be depending on what the price is going to be to maybe get him away from Santa or maybe even he's a buyout candidate as the season goes on. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's in the rotation. I think that's what I... I'm reading between the line, Daz, and you tell me differently, but, you know, he wasn't playing much at all the first four or five games, was he? You know, Eubanks and Etel was getting, you know, getting a lot of run, but now Thad's, Thad's in the rotation. That's what I, I saw behind. I'm just, maybe I'm projecting my psychology into Pops going after him, just so happy for a guy who's was patient with him, yep. you know, and granted we're only 10 games in, but, you know, just patient with him. And then, as soon as he does get on the court, he does all the right things and plays the right way. And I just, what a, what a perfect embodiment of what pop represents, right. Is the a guy like that who puts the team ahead of himself, um, doesn't complain. And then when he does wait and gets his chance, he's, he does all the right things and playing, you know, probably well, I'm, I'm, ball. 
we're watching Phoenix today, and we'll get to that game against Atlanta. But you're watching, you're seeing, you know, DeAndre Ayton was out today, but they're going with a combination of uh, Frank the Tank and Javal McGee. And Frank the Tank actually played pretty well down the stretch of that one. But you're like, you're sitting there going, wouldn't it be nice to have that that string in your bow to just say we're going to play a little bit of small ball center with that young and yes we can stay big if we if we want to one of those other two but it just gives you that versatility that i think you need and you're seeing in, in milwaukee just how much they miss Brooke Lopez. Oh, he'd, he'd be an absolute perfect fit in milwaukee who left that that 15th roster spot open yeah and you know and, and he'd provide again just like again provide optionality where bobby portis is you know the offensive bucket getter you know, the guy who can drill threes in NBA finals games, but Thad would be your, your more defensive guy who can, you know, can complete a possession and set really great screens and just be super smart. Right. And he'd be an absolute perfect fit in that front court rotation. But yeah, you've also mentioned there, there'd be, there'd be at least a handful of teams who'd love, who'd love Thad, Thad Young. So you wonder if they've not sure if he had an injury or something, Daz, but that certainly feels like a, all right, let's, um, let's get our, uh, let's look each other in the eye and let's agree. Let's play some ball here the next month and we will trade you at the deadline. Seems yeah. almost a certain. I'll be shocked. Yeah. I'll be shocked if he's not on the contender and if we're not talking about him as just a, you know, a, a nice seventh, eighth man that come in, but he, as you saw with Tucker last year, it's those, those other guys that can make the difference outside of your superstars. Because once you get to those big games, you know, both teams are going to have two or three really good players. And it's come sometimes the other guys and their ability to make plays both defensively and offensively that can be the difference uh, when you get to the big games. So, but Daz, let, let's focus in on a couple of games yeah. that we both watched today. So I want to start with the Bulls and the Sixers. Uh, and you've got to give it, I mean, I think both of these teams have played quite well to start the season, but you've got to give a massive tip of the hat to the Sixers and the fact that they've blocked all this Ben Simmons uh, drama out. Doc Rivers is doing a great job, but geez, Joel Embiid today, he just took over that game in the fourth quarter. I mean, did you catch any of that? And, and then were you similarly, I mean, you could not be impressed if you watched it um, from what Joel Embiid was able to do. Yeah, I watched the, the middle, I watched um, second, third, and most, the fourth up until the run. So I actually saw the really fun game, actually, guys. And I thought really well played, um, really well played, actually. Mm. Like, you, could, you could see this just felt like a three-seed, four-seed kind of caliber game or four or five-seed, I'll be honest. So it was actually quite, again, if I'm taking my emotion out of the bucks, it's kind of nice to see these teams playing really well. Um you know, bulls with all their question marks coming into the year. And as you already said, without Simmons, um, but yeah, so really entertaining game, both teams uh, are defending. It just felt like the perfect embodiment of the new NBA rules where there's a lot of physical play in this game and there was no bitching, right? Mm -hmm. It was just nice to see um, this looked like one of those games where there's just, there wasn't any, it got a little chippy at the end, you know, Joel tends to be a bit fiery, but you know, it wasn't, aimed um, at any one thing it was just his own personal frustration, but um, nice to see the game being played in a really rugged, rugged way. And yeah, just in terms of X's and O's, it was just, as you said, it was the Bulls, Bulls themselves made a really nice comeback. Um, boy, I can't believe the Lakers let Caruso go. What an annoying, effective little player he is. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever spent much time watching Alex Caruso, but he was a difference maker today. Uh, DeMar was doing DeMar things. Uh, Derek Jones Jr., who's a really neat kind of 
kind of one one and a half dimensional right defensive player and god damn is he fun watching crash the offensive boards he had a he putting one up for um dunk of the year candidate today daz i'm not sure if you saw it but yeah, uh, this free throw where he soared in from the baseline like a like a like a ghost out of nowhere boing he just <laughs> climbs to the sky and slams it in so some beautiful little moments in that game but so I saw that the Philly took a really strong lead, kind of had complete control. Then the Bulls got that surge and that wave behind the second unit in the third quarter. And the game was tied with about six minutes to go. And that's sadly, I had to, I just step away and it was a, it was a tie game. And next thing you know, I came back and, the, and Philly had like a nine point lead. So, um, well, in so yeah, hit two, two threes late, a uh, couple of assists <sighs> as well. Uh, he just came in and just took the game over. And it's so tough for a big man. And that, that's where, you know, down the stretch, and you're seeing this a little bit with Indiana, they've had they've lost a lot of close games. And one of the reasons is because when your best player is a big man, it's hard, to, a lot of teams find it very difficult to execute down the stretch. And they just gave the ball to him, but he was almost a point guard at the end of this one. And he just makes things happen. Um, yeah. And the disappointing player, I think, for the Bulls so far this year has been Vucevic. I think they Vucevic. to be... Yeah. Look, he's never going to be a defensive stopper, but they knew him to be better on the offensive end uh, than he's yeah. been thus far. But maybe they're still sort of fitting him in between the sort of three-headed monster that DeRozan and, and Zach Levine. And Zach Levine played well again today also. Uh, and and yeah. you know, the five-man unit of Caruso, Ball, DeRozan, Levine and Vucevic, it, it kind of works better than you probably thought it would have. Um, even even on the defensive end, they didn't look too bad. Um, it's just that Vucevic missed a couple of wide open ones today, and and then Bede, uh nailed his ones that weren't even that open. To be honest, he just hit some nice shots uh, towards the end of that game. Yeah. So and yeah. Cork Mars was on fire as well, and that, that's that's the key for Philly. They just need that other guy to come along with Embiid, and generally they're going to be very hard to beat, and that's what happened today. Uh, this was the, this was like the this is like the poster child game of the M Embiid for MVP. You know, um, if you're putting in his candidacy, where I'm, I think you mentioned it already, but Harris was also out today. Tobias Harris, and so basically had Joel Embiid starting next to Paul Reed, who I don't think had started an NBA game yet. Um, Tyrese Maxey played 44 minutes. You know, Corkmaz, as you mentioned, he was on fire. He literally couldn't miss. I think he hit six, his first six threes mm. of the day of the game. But again, Embiid surrounded by Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey, George Nang, and Furkan Korkamaz, and even Andre Drummond had to play 14 minutes. And they beat a, a good Bulls team. They beat a good Bulls team comfortably down the stretch. And so um, credit, credit to Embiid. I think you're bang on. Credit to Embiid for just as soon as that ball's tipped in the air, it's just, you know, it's the competitive juices get flowing and everything's blocked out so yeah mm. good on you know i'm not i'm not cheering for philly but you do kind of you just i just you just hate what simmons has done to that team this year just for the sake of good basketball right and so kudos to them for grinding out a nice w um a couple clunky moments from the bulls like you saw some saw some scenes today where lonzo was completely invisible he does play defense but man can he just be relegated to kind of standing around and waiting for an outlet pass to keep the outlet pass moving Yeah, sorry to keep a he'll get a kick out and say if you know DeRozan gets shut down in his first move and he'll swing it to the other side but he's just little more than a, than a turnstile on offense at the moment Daz so they don't have it all figured out in Chicago and as you mentioned Vucevic just uh, I don't know if he's intimidated but he was so he was hesitant today 
he was, you know, he was hesitant and he, you just could see he was, Embiid was a bit, um, it kind of owned him to be honest. So it's not all, it wasn't all perfect in Chicago, but more, more broadly, I think you'd, you'd, you'd like, if you're a Bulls fan, you'd like what you're seeing from that, that, that mishmash just in spite of a kind of a tough L kind of folding the tent down the, down the stretch today. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the standout players, if you're doing early season, sort of looking at the MVP picture, I think it beads there. I think Donovan Mitchell's right there in the conversation. Uh, Doncic has been putting up good numbers and, and Dallas, who we'll get to in a second, have, have now sort of moved into the winning record. So I think so if they can win enough games, I think he'll obviously be in the conversation. And Jokic is still putting up ridiculous numbers as well um, in Denver. And I mean, there's a great guy in, in Milwaukee that hasn't been going too bad either, but you kind yeah. of feel like Yas well, has picked his moments a little bit more um, at this stage rather than going, you know, sort of all, all out the way he probably will come sort of April, May. Well, to be honest, just I'll quick tick that box. He's playing so hard on both ends, Daz. Like he's just not putting up 35 and 40 because he's having to play the five basically all the time now like because of Brooks missed basically the whole season I think and Bobby's also missed games so he's just been burdened at the five which is you know um he just can't be doing that 38 minutes a night he's just doing too much in these games well they're very no easy to guard offense. at the moment yeah. like they're very easy yeah. to guard because I saw the they Utah are. game and Utah just you know you've seen the wall built well this was a literal wall <laughs> we just had all five guys basically keying in on Giannis and, you know, what's he going to do? Kick it out to Justin Robinson or Thanasis or whoever it might be. And, you know, Giannis ended up just settling. And I think he shot 11 threes. It was one for 11 from three or something like that. And it was just, it was basically Giannis just, yeah, just shrugging his shoulders and going, what can I do? It was practice, yeah. But to segue then to where I thought you were going to go was um, we're kind of bringing both these thoughts together was, um, Miami, Utah, very interesting game today, Daz. And Jimmy Butler putting, you know, making us talk about him, at least in MVP voting, if he had to do it, he'd definitely have to get some top five votes for sure. So far, he's playing out of his mind. He still doesn't shoot a three, but it doesn't seem to matter. He's scoring about 25 points a game and they just, they just can't, they just keep on winning. Um, I'm not sure if you caught, I didn't catch much of this game, Daz, but what I did catch uh, maybe you can, you saw a bit of a run. Well, what worry, Miami were, Miami yeah. were so in control yeah. that game, just quickly on that one. Then Donovan yeah. Mitchell put Utah on his back and brought him back in. But what were you, what was your question going to be? Well, I've been noticing this, Daz. Gobert, Daz, is, you know, Gobert just is increasingly less involved in the offense. And tell me if I've got it wrong, but I thought they finally benched him in the fourth quarter, went small to get some space. Because the, the Utah wasn't stopping Miami on the defensive end. So like, okay, we might as well get some offense on the floor. And that, if I'm not mistaken, they made their run with Gobert on the bench. Well, you're going to see more of that. When Rudy Gay's fit, Rudy Gay hasn't played for this team yet. So once Rudy Gay comes back in, uh, I think you're going to see much more of that. And, and Gobert in close games, uh, depending on the, on the matchups. I mean, Adebayo is a bad matchup for him. Um, it depends on who they're playing. Like he was, he was very effective against the Bucks the way the Bucks had to play the other day. Um, and he'll be very effective against teams like the Spurs that like to just attack the rim nonstop because Gabby is obviously going to be the, the sheriff there, uh, making sure that they don't finish anything around the rim. But once you sort of spread a team out, that's when you need the likes of Rudy Gay, that young who we mentioned earlier, even the PJ Tuckers of the world. Like that's, that's the player that they need. And I think they're just coming to the realisation that, look, some nights, 
Rudy Gobert is just not going to be able to be on the court. Um, so yeah. as, as valuable as he as he is, particularly in the regular season and against certain teams, um, you know that's going to like against Philly. It's going to be fantastic to have Gobert. You think you to go against try and sort of slow Embiid down as much as you yeah. can, uh, but in matchups where the Miami Heat can go, we've got Bam Adebayo, uh, who's obviously one of the more, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking versatile. for? Sort of yeah. Versatile centers in the league. Yeah. Um, that's that's not going to be the matchup for him. Um, so, you know, and, and from an offensive point of view, look, it's just putting in back in offensive rebounds, the occasional lob from from Mitchell. I mean, it's never like they're going to run a play for Rudy Gobert um, either. So they don't even run the pretend plays that OKC used to do for Kendrick Perkins, uh, just to sort of give Kendrick a nod and say, "Yeah, there's your one play we're running for you." A game staying goes. They don't even yeah. do. They don't even do that. So I think it's something to watch in Utah. I mean, they're seven and two. They've started well. It's just. The question is going to be, is there going to be any noise from Gobert? Is he going to fully buy into that sort of role and understand that there's going to be certain games where he is going to be watching on from the bench? Uh, and maybe they do some offense, defense as well, um, with him for rebounding purposes more than actual defense. Uh, from time to time as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's certainly going to be a, something to watch. The one thing to watch with them is the way Mitchell's playing through contact. And I, and I said this to you off air from the pod, and it was something that the, the Bucks commentator actually pointed out uh, when she said that Mitchell's, it's like some players have struggled with the rule changes. Harden's been one. I think Tatum's been another one. Dame Lillard's been one. Uh, you know, Trey Young to a little bit of an extent has been one. But other players are really thriving with this rule change and understanding that you can now play through contact. And if, yeah. if, if guys want to stop you, they're going to have to foul you. And Dimwitty's another one that's, that's really played well in the new, and they're sort of going a straight line to the rim. So there's not a, you know, they're not sort of going on that little arc to the rim. They're just going straight through guys to the rim. And then Mitchell's doing it better than anyone uh, in the early days of the season. So, and, and I, I think, I'm loving the new rule changes, Daz. I'll bring on more rule changes. So like start, I wish the NBA guys would just start watching international basketball and realize how much better the rules are in international basketball. Like the only rule that's within the NBA that's not in international is 12 minute quarters that I say, well, keep 12 minute quarters. That's fine. Yeah. Every other rule, and I mean, we, we've sort of touched on them here and there on these pods before, so I'm not going to go through them all again, but every other rule, honestly, I'd change. And, and the one that they've done this year where they're not rewarding guys for just, you know, initiating the contact themselves uh, and then just walking to the line, I think it's been fantastic. And, and Trey Young, you saw today, he's starting to adjust his game um, to be able to sort of play through that as best he can. It'll take some time though, right? There's some... To- to really kind of shed the habits because Trey was good, but you would have seen a couple possessions there in crunch time where he'll break the, the initial sort of defense down, but then he does that hesitation, waiting for mm. the contact from behind and two possessions in a row. Um, uh, Crowder got him once and he just kind of then puked up something a second time, Daz. Maybe he had to well, kick it out. Well, he didn't do that in the could, third quarter. He did that down the stretch. He had he did it in the points. crunch time, yeah. Yeah, he had mm-hmm. 15 points in like four or five assists in the third quarter. They scored 40 points as a team. And I watched him at one point and he sort of did the whole head, you know how he does the head crack, I got mm-hmm. fouled. Mm-hmm. But he, he instead of just chucking something up the rim, he threw a beautiful pass out to Gallinari and kind of played through the contact to do it. 
And I went, that's that's the development you want to see. And then to your point, fourth quarter comes along and he's sort of throwing himself in the plays. And it was a bit of hero ball down the stretch. I mean, it was an ugly finish to the game um, oh. from Atlanta's point of view. And again, they led by 12 going into the last. Uh, so mm. they, and they just made a few mental errors. Like they got an offensive rebound late up one. And then DeAndre Hunter, rather than taking the ball back out, using the 14 seconds, he just chucked up a shot, which to be fair to him, I guess he's open. And maybe they say, look, if you're open, take that shot. But I would have preferred to see him, um, you know, take the ball back out. Time time and circumstance there. Exactly. You're 14 seconds. Give it to Trey. Give it to Bogey. Let's run a pick and roll, John Collins. Let's see if we can get something something better than even a wide open uh, DeAndre Hunter three. Probably not from a spot where he shoots a great percentage of. It wasn't like it was a corner three or something like that. Um, speaking of dumb decisions, Daz, gee, I saw some uh, one of the dumbest losses that I've seen in, in recent <laughs> NBA history. Uh, poor, poor Bill Simmons. I know exactly. <laughs> I knew exactly where you're headed with this one. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was an interesting game, though. It was one of them games where you felt like Dallas had Boston's measure the whole time. I mean, credit to Boston, no Jalen Brown. They were down big, they were down 17 and a half time in this one and just came roaring back. And Tatum played, I think that's the best game I've seen Tatum play all year. I didn't catch the Miami game. They must have played pretty well against Miami because they beat Miami pretty comfortably. Uh, Schroeder was doing Schroeder things, like he makes a couple of plays and then he does a couple of boneheaded things. So that's that's always the Dennis Schroeder experience. Uh, Marcus Smart played really well at times. Um, and again, at other times did some some pretty dumb things, but he's a great defender. He's a great man. He's a great on-ball defender. And I thought Josh Richardson's shown some signs recently. Like the Mavericks commentators were even complaining about how good Josh Richardson looked today because they're like, he never did... He's doing things today he never did all season last year for us uh, that we saw. So he's shown some signs. So it's not all negative, I don't think, at Boston. Um, but to give you the the rundown, our, our loyal listeners who might not have caught this game, uh, coming down the stretch. So it's a tie game. There's 15 seconds left. Mavs have the ball. Uh, actually, it might have been about 20 seconds left at this stage. Anyway, and the Mavs commentator says oh will boston have a foul to give at this point and i was like and the ball had gone out and i think they had 10 seconds left on the shot clock and there was 15 seconds left in the game that's right yeah eight seconds left on the shot clock that's right that's right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so there was a there was a decent enough gap between the shot clock and game clock you go well look if the mavs miss Celtics get the rebound, they'll have enough time even if the mavs make the shot the celtics gonna have a chance to call a timeout and go for the win. And the Mavs commentator said, oh, the Celtics have got a foul to give. And I thought to myself, well, you really, the last thing you want to be doing here is fouling because that just ensures that the Mavs will have the last shot and you won't get the ball back. So I thought there's no chance they're going to foul. And then they get Doncic on Smart. Now, Smart had actually caused Doncic some problems. Like he was playing some really good defense on him throughout the game. And I thought, well, that's the matchup that the Celtics want. And then Doncic goes to drive and Smart just fouls him with like, I don't know, it was 10 seconds left at that stage. So now you go 14 seconds back on the shot clock. Obviously, shot clock gets turned off. You're now ensuring that the Mavs get the last shot of the game. And what happens, Daz, you've got, you know, say what you like about Luca. You know, I'm not, I'm not his biggest advocate or fan, but there's no, if you say to me, who do I want to take the last shot in the close game? there's no one I would choose. I mean, would you choose anyone in today's NBA ahead of Luka Doncic 
to take the last shot of a game? Yeah, especially if it's maybe, obviously, if it's like you've got someone to catch and shoot for sure. But if you just need to put the ball in someone's hands, mm. absolutely. He's absolutely. It was double teamed and then basically chased to the corner. Yeah, like it's just remarkable what he can do. He can still, because he's so damn tall and so damn confident, he's, he's going to get a shot off. That's exactly what he did. But well, by his own yeah. admission, he didn't even see it go in. He heard the crowd because that's how much he was marked. And he just sort yeah. of stood there and listened, heard the crowd cheer. And then he just he did the, the little lap of honor around the around the stadium. But uh, it was just extraordinarily. I mean, and there was a couple of other plays that Boston did, like you know, Shrew the uh, went grabbed the rebound, then dribbled the ball straight off Tatum's foot, and it went out of bounds, and. Then Schroeder threw a ball that someone's supposed to be in the corner. It was one of those ones where you're not sure actually if it was Schroeder's fault or the guy's supposed to be there, but went straight out of the bounds as well. So a couple of really bad turnovers by the Celtics late. And then Doncic just, that's the second year in a row, Doncic has beaten the Celtics. Um, although he left 1.1 of a second on the clock uh, last, <laughs> last time. Last time, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that was as tough a loss. Uh, as you could have. And uh, when Smart did the foul, uh, Doku sort of seemed to be talking to him. And I was wondering if Doku said, why'd you foul there? That was not, that's not the right play. I'm not quite sure what happened, but it ended up Josh Richardson was the one that sort of was his main, was was Luca's main um, guard on that last play. And then I think yeah. Robert Williams come over to do that. I mean, it was a, it was a shot that I think the Celtics would have lived with him taking, to be honest. And yeah, he would have gone, Look, yeah. If he hits that, you tip the hat and, uh, you know, nothing but net uh, as, as he hit it. Uh, just, Triple team as... running left, fading oh. away. Yeah, right shoulder kind of heave. It was, wasn't was exactly, but it's, you know, he was quite, he had the touch that game. You know, he hit, I guess, five out of 10. So he, you know, if you ask Luca, you know, <laughs> it's not a bad shot. But you're right. That's probably a maybe a 20% chance for that to go in. Um, on most nights, but uh, mm. in positive, I guess another little positive nugget from that game, right, is that I think I saw some signs of a, a energetic Kristaps uh, Porzingis. You know, he's only played, I don't know, he played maybe 25, 26 minutes tonight, but um, there was some aggression. He, he got some offensive boards. He had a couple of nice shots, you know, made a couple of good defensive plays. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that maybe is the future for Kristaps is playing 25 minutes a night, Daz, and maybe that's a way to get more out of him. And maybe perhaps he can be a little more comfortable and confident playing harder. So I don't want to. Uh, he also had an early shot cock three very late, which, you know, yeah. he just sort of went, uh, what? It, I know. know. I'm trying to, it was, but in, <laughs> in relative terms, you saw some hope. He saw some hope there. Um, again, for me, it was the aggressiveness. It was just nice to see a bit of that aggressiveness back. But then, and on the flip side, it, you know, when you say something like, I, I thought, you know, Tatum has perhaps his best game of the year, and I, I'll ask, you know, somewhat rhetorically, you know, it, it, is that because Jalen Brown was out, right? Is there, is this, is this pairing uh, I, a, a long-term, yeah. What I liked I'm about it today was that he didn't, he wasn't playing hero ball and I've seen a lot of hero ball from him. And I think he was looking for other teammates at times. He played, he did some really nice things on the defensive end uh, and he was efficient, you know, and he, and he, he hasn't been efficient. Uh, and as I it. said, it's been too much your turn, my turn in Boston. 
for the first sort of seven, eight games of the season for my for, for my liking. Well, that that's exactly my point. Where Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder each played 36, 37 minutes, right? And and Tatum only had two assists. So clearly, right, the ball was in you know Schroeder and Smart's hands a lot of time. And I and you just one you wonder is that that's a better just yeah. something more natural where he's more off ball? He'll come off a DHL. He'll coming off a a pin down or a screen or a curl, right? It's just and you got guys delivering him the basketball, and each of those guys had six assists. Again, they're not the best passers, but that's from the bits I did see of this one. And you're bang on. He was Tatum's 12 for 19, and so I don't want to go way too far with this, but they've clearly had a disappointing season. And you just do it's it's impossible not to wonder in the back of your mind, and that you know even the ringer guys have talked about it. It's like you you uh, the mismatch guys anyway. It's like you know you do wonder you know how long. Will they stick with the hypothesis of of um, Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum together? And I couldn't help but answer my own question, Daz, and thinking back to their Ainge's failings with you know everything from Kyrie to Kemba and so forth at the um, at the point guard position, and think no no question they would have had every opportunity to collect you know Chris Paul when his value was you know depleted, you know leaving Houston and having one of the most untradeable contracts and watching Chris Paul take and coalesce a, a team like Phoenix and no doubt elevate Devin Booker to, you know, top 10-ish type status in the league where we do talk about Donovan Mitchell and, and Jason Tatum often. And you just wonder, right? It's impossible. It's a, it's a, a thought exercise if they had just gotten a point guard, you know, a distributing point guard, not a score first point guard like Kyrie or Kemba to, to really try to pull together an offense and make life easier perhaps on, on Stevens and Udoka, would they have been better off? And maybe they'll do that yet, but it sure as hell isn't coming from Schroeder and Smart this year. So sorry for the soliloquy, but it's I find Boston quite fascinating. I just find well, them. Well, I thought thing. it was interesting today too, as they didn't play Horford down the stretch in that game, and he's been playing quite well for them. So I thought that that was another little interesting uh, the, the the five man unit that they went with to finish that game. Um, I thought, and maybe they just wanted the match pausing as his height with Williams. Richardson was it Richardson in for yeah, him? Yeah, it was. Was it? It, was, it was basically Richardson in. Although I think Horford, you would have normally thought maybe yeah. Horford's playing center in that lineup with Richardson still out there. But uh, maybe as a horses for courses. But I did think it was a somewhat interesting that Al Horford it was, yeah. wasn't out there. The last game, guys, just to quickly touch on the the, the Phoenix Atlanta game. Um, as we as we spoke about Atlanta, at times look have looked fantastic so far this year, and at other times you're scratching your head wondering what's what's wrong with this team. Um, they, they've been struggling a little bit lately. Um, I think they're now four and five and they've got a back-to-back with uh, Golden State and Utah uh, the next two. So you imagine that's going to sort of balloon out to four and seven. And at some point, uh, they're going to need to start getting serious about winning some games there in Atlanta. Yeah, well, it's like what we said in the beginning is, of the season is, is, yes, they have depth, but with, with the depth is coming a lot of mouths to feed. And if you have a lot of mouths to feed, that kind of changes the way that Nate's going to think about getting the right rotations because DeAndre Hunter's kind of fresh back from injury and he was bloody absolute black hole mm-hmm. on offense um, in this game. And so, you know, he's taken minutes away from Kevin Herter and, and Gallo and Reddish. And so all of them playing, you know, kind of all of them are playing sixth man-ish kind of minutes here, Daz. And same thing with Bogdan doesn't even play 30 minutes a night. Basically, only guys they're getting, you know, good run is, is young and Collins playing most of the game. And so that's that for me is just a it's an opportunity, but also a bit of a risk here is that perhaps you've got guys that are 
you know, could be contributing to winning, but you're, you're letting the, you know, everyone try to find their way through it. So it's just a watch area. I don't, I'm not, there's no kind of flags there, but you're right. They could, they could stack up some losses here while this stuff shakes itself out. And then speaking of, you know, how they're going to be thinking about positioning for the, for a playoff run, it will be really interesting to see what they do with the likes of, um, you know, Lou Williams and Gallinari, you know, in particular two guys that, you know, I don't know, are they going to get enough minutes in the playoffs to justify right, staying on the roster, or could they do something to package them to play, you know, to teams who could use a bit of offensive boost and, and get something else. So I think that roster has got a lot of depth, but also a lot of questions and also probably could be right for, you know, some sort of consolidation move, you know, come um, deadline time, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but mm. yeah, it's a lot, a lot of question marks in Atlanta, uh, a lot of question marks, no worrying well, signs, I got to say, but just a lot of question marks. Well, a couple of teams we'll hit on before we go for today, Daz. What about the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, this is a team that, that they were my pick to win the championship heading into the season. Now, they're, they're six and three. So you look at the record and you think there's nothing to be too concerned about. But I've watched, I've caught a few of their games. I've not been impressed by them once other than obviously Kevin Durant playing really well. James Harden just flat out looks terrible. I mean, this team, and, and when the team sort of starts a little bit clunky, you go, well, where's the improvement going to come from? And I look at this team and think, you know, unless Kyrie comes back, which, you know, there, there are some political changes happening uh, within that sort of New Jersey uh, state. They've just had some elections there. So that sort of watch this space. Kyrie could still come back for this team. But are you sort of just saying, look, let's wait and see if Kyrie comes back. Or, I mean, I, I guess put it this way. Do you think Kyrie coming back is the only thing that saves this team? From Milwaukee's point of view, what are you thinking about from Brooklyn? Are you worried about Brooklyn still? Uh, or do you just think, well, look, they're probably out of it unless Kyrie comes back? Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm torn on this one because, you know, on paper, there's still by far enough, you know, enough depth right enough talent to, you know to be considered the favorite but as you said Harden looks terrible he looks he, he's done this before right he looks out of shape in November he definitely looks out of shape and looks completely disinterested when he's playing there's some hilarious Benny Hill moment kind of footage of him <laughs> you know against Detroit if you haven't well seen against it, I saw it. it's against Corey Joseph and unbelievable he couldn't get yeah. past Corey Joseph Corey he made Corey Joseph um, look like peak Scotty Pippen. Yeah, and there's a Sadiq Bay one as well. I couldn't get past Bay and then kind of... Well, the Joseph one I and, saw, yeah, that yeah. was late in crunch time. They isolated yeah. out and, they, and he gets the matchup he wants, obviously, Corey Joseph, and you go, okay, well, the, normally that's going to be two points. And as I said, he, he made Corey Joseph look like a defensive stopper. So two things I'm looking for, right, is, you know, will James Harden get himself in shape? You know, that will, that will go a long, 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 long way. And the second one is this, this dinosaur, very slow, very old, big man rotation, Daz. And what, what are they going to do there? Are they going to stay, you know, big and old and slow with, you know, with, with that rotation that they have at the moment? Or are they going to, you know, completely change tactic and do something different at the deadline to change that, that bigs, change their, their spot in the center? And so that for me is the almost irrespective of Kyrie is if, if Harden gets really fit, which is, a, is an if at this point, and if Kevin Durant stays healthy, and if they can figure out, you know, what to do about the center position, because I, nothing about that scares me 
if I'm a Bucks fan, up and down that those bigs on that roster, and I don't need to lay, list the names again, but there's nothing that impresses anyone. That for me is, you know, if they can figure those out and there's some big ifs, then they're still the, the prohibitive favorites without Kyrie. So the answer is no. You know, it's, it's Kyrie is not going to save the day. Um, would he make their life infinitely easier? Obviously. It also lets them play really small and probably play more, um, you know, Bruce Brown and, um, oh God, what's the skinny kid? I just forgot his name. Paxton. Who, Paxton. The, the, guy who play, the guy who plays five. Claxton. Yeah, thank you. That, yeah. Yeah, Nick, <laughs> That's Nick right. Claxton. <laughs> Claxton is Nick Claxton. It's like a speedy, isn't he? Isn't that speedy, Daz? Speedy um, is the old Spurs point guy. Jeez, old speedy Claxton. Goodness, goodness me, senior moment. But uh, yeah, of course, he, he unlocks, you know, the best version of them. But I still think if Harden gets right and they figure out, I think you just have to get Claxton and, and Brown more minutes, you know, in, in those lineups, even with if KD's playing. KD and, and Blake playing some five, and you just need to, you just need the other. I'm sorry, LMA, I think is done as I just, I just can't see him. I can't oh, see look, him I still think he's got that pick and pop going, and he can still score, but he, he can't can. defend. Yeah, he can't stay no. in front of him. I'll say this about Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's one of two things is going to happen with Blake Griffin. He's either going to injure someone really badly, or someone's going to knock his head off and put him into the crowd. Because I thought Isaiah Stewart was going to absolutely take his head off yesterday in the game uh, against the Pistons. Like, he is the dirtiest player in the NBA, and it's not a particularly close argument. And he's going to really hurt someone, particularly those arm bars that he does. does, And you'd be familiar with it. He tries to do it on Giannis. Um, someone's going to either take him out or he's going to take someone else out. And the, the referees need to get on top of it with him because it's it's actually getting beyond the joke. I mean, he, he'd make Zaza blush with some of the plays that he's he's trying to pull off uh, under the basket so far this season. 100%. You know, Bucks fans can't stand him. And it seems they've all stemmed, started in Detroit. I don't remember him doing this in, in LA, um, but you're 100% right. Um, so I guess if that's their strategies, you have this thug who makes you afraid to do things. And, you know, I guess that's your strategy, but I'd still rather play him, you know, than Paul Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge at this point. Again, when Aldridge is, is hitting, it's, it's a nice weapon. You're, you're right, a pick and pop. But um, to the question about the, you know, where's his team? You start looking, the main question is how does, how do, how do these games and what we're seeing and what we're learning project for, for next June? And um, yeah, nothing about their, their center play you know, makes the Bucks at all. Um, well, if I'm the scared. Bucks, the only team in the East I'm worried about is Miami uh, at, at this point in time, having seen what I've seen. I guess Philly, you, they get your attention a little bit depending on how this whole Simmons thing plays out. But I think um, Atlanta... Philly, still, Miami, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Atlanta, they are what they are. Look, Atlanta can get you in a crazy game like we, what we saw today where you just sit there and who, who knows what's going to happen in some of those games. And, and, you know, I think everything fell into place for them in the last playoffs. I'm not sure that's going to happen again. You know, I think the Bulls and the Knicks, they're going to be nice stories, but they're going to be pretty comfortable outs when the playoffs start. Miami and Philly are the team I'm looking at at the moment and being a bit more worried about than probably what I am about Brooklyn um, at, at this point in time. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And what about the last team we'll talk about, Daz, is there's a lot of hype around Golden State at the moment. Best record in the league. Um, I've sort of kept saying, I'm not buying, I'm not buying, I'm not buying it. But gee, at some point you got to look around and say, well, who's better than them? And if the playoffs started today, and obviously we're very early on in the season, but if they're healthy, 
if they get Wiseman back and Wiseman showing anything at all, and they're even getting you know 70% of Clay and Clay's able to just be a decoy, if, if not much else, and occasionally knock down the open shot, you know, it's not hard to see why this team is going to be uh, a really tough out once the players start, particularly given how well Steph's playing. Draymond's back to his defensive best and Wiggins is playing probably the best, uh, maybe not the best basketball of his career, but certainly the most effective basketball of his career, put it that way, contributing to winning more than he ever has done. They look great. There's, there's just no way to say it, right? Jordan Poole is... He has his offense, but he's electric. He gives them a super important, right, needed offensive punch, which they just didn't have last year. And to see his confidence rising, Draymond, as we've said before, is, is fit. They've got pieces. We'll see what Wiseman gives them, if they can find a way for him to play 18 minutes a night, you know, and maybe be a baby, baby, baby. LaMarcus Aldridge is how I'd like to see him used, right? Just get him picking and popping and being simple, short roll, not complex decisions, right? I don't want to see him doing high pick and rolls and, and stuff like that. Just really simple stuff, simple actions. And then, you know, they still have, like you said, with Clay, but I still wonder, they've got these two draft picks, which, as you all know, draft picks are worth more before the players are chosen. But it is, um, what's his name, Moody and, and Kaminga, mm. who are just basically wasting away two lottery picks. And, and and it just begs the question, you know, are they are they assets? Are they potentially something that can be packaged to uh, do something big for them? Meaning, Golden State, if they keep playing this way, they've got room for internal development improvement, i.e. Wiseman and Poole, and uh, for development from Clay Thompson and improvement, and possibly in the trade market. You know, and then, of course, they're always a buyout destination as well. So I don't think they could have started the season any better. They couldn't have started any better for, for them. They had some cupcakes, you know, they had some cupcake games against New Orleans and OKC, but they also had a nice early string against Lakers, Clippers, and they beat another good team early on, if I'm not mistaken. So, well, yeah, this is just the dirty little secret, Daz. The West isn't that good anymore. Like, you look through the Western Conference, and obviously, what's happened? you know, Jamal Murray being out, and, and Michael Porter Jr. got injured again today, and he's looked woeful at the start of the season anyway for, De for Denver. So, you wonder if there was some sort of back issue already hampering. Porter Jr., the way he went up for that layup today. Um, he looked like me when I was going up for laps back in the Buba days, Daz. It looked bad, Daz. I mean, if you're a Denver fan and you're anyone who's studied his medical history, he, you know, it's almost now impossible. It's like, you know, you can't unsee what he looked like to go. Mm. Uh, is, this, is this why he was an absolute f shadow of himself the first 10 games and something's gone. He, he had a layup if he hadn't seen it for our nine listeners and he couldn't even lift himself for a wide open breakaway three on none layup yeah. that he missed. And he then took himself out of the game. You're like, Oh boy, a non-contact something grabbed kind of thing. It just, oh, my heart sank when I saw that replay. Well, I must admit, because I, I invested pretty heavily in him in fantasy, as you know. Uh, and so, I, and, and no. his numbers were terrible and I wasn't watching much Denver and I thought, I'm going to have to actually watch and see what's going on. He just can't get open, does. Like, he's just no. lost that step that you need to get open. I mean, the, the shot still looks good. You know, obviously the mechanic is a shot we've, we've spoke about a number of times. But if you can't get yourself open, you can be the greatest shooter of all time. Like, unless you're seven foot tall and the greatest shooter of all time, it's not going to matter. Um, so that's been yeah. a problem. And now I think we saw today 
maybe there's been something underlying that he's playing through, lost a bit of lift, whatever it is. Um, let's hope that it's not serious, but gee, did, did not look good today. Um, and it's really now Jokic and Will Barton. And Will Barton is kind of a Jordan Poole type in that he's a bit of trick or treat. Um, yeah. It's not, not a guy you want to be relying on night to night. And obviously Jamal Murray's not coming back anytime soon. Um, you, we've spoken about the Lakers. I mean, they're a bit of a clown show at the moment. Um, the Clippers are at 500, Paul George, the top scorer in the league. He's playing brilliantly, but not really enough supporting cast around him to make them contenders, unless Kawhi comes back, which you don't expect is going to happen. Utah, until the playoffs start, they're probably going to be the one seed again, or maybe Golden State will be the one seed, but it'll be between sort of Utah and Golden State, but I don't think Golden State are losing any sleep over playing the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. Phoenix have started a bit clunky. Maybe Phoenix are the team that are going to be the big contenders against them. But then you sort of look at the rest of the conference. You go, well, you know, Luca at plus, you know, Luke, Luke, the Clippers and Mavs to me are pretty much the same. Like it's Paul George and the, the, not a good enough supporting cast and Luca and not a good enough supporting cast. So you can make your own judgments as who's better, the better player there individually between Paul George and Doncic as to who might win a play series, but neither of them terms of beating a Golden State if Golden State are firing. So it's kind of become LeBron in the East with Steph and the Warriors in the West all of a sudden where you go, you look around for the Warriors and you think, well, who's beating them when the playoffs start? So I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself around, not because I'm massively high and I think this team's anywhere near as good as the Warriors were when they were at their peak, you know, obviously in the KD's base, but even pre-KD, but I look around the Western Conference and think all of a sudden the, 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 the balance has shifted. And if Golden State were in the East, you'd be saying, well, they're going to have a tough matchup against the Sixers. The, you know, um, the Hawks can get frisky, the Bucks, the, the Heat, the Nets, etc. In the West, you go, well, who's beating them? They have an MVP. They have perhaps the highest IQ basketball team in the league. They've got veteran leadership. They've got experience winning championships. They got some young legs, and I keep giving credit to Andrew Wiggins. You just you need he's a good innings eater, overused, overused term. They've got internal development that's possible, and they've got ways to improve their team. I just I'm with you. I, I, I agree with everything you said. Like as it stands today, I can't believe I'd I'd sort of have them as my new West favorite. You know, these, you know, mm -hmm. these uh the Western stock market changes pretty quickly, especially in November and December. But absolutely Golden State, Utah, pretty clear one, two. I've actually liked, you know, Phoenix is figuring it out. Um, you know, they're not exactly firing all cylinders. They've won a few few home games here to kind of get themselves right. But they're basically what we expect. So I think that's going to be the steady Eddie team. Uh, they'll be that 2-3 seed and, you know, they'll be a difficult out if Chris Paul, Booker, Aiton, and Bridges are healthy. So, um, but you're right. There's nothing Denver, Memphis, Dallas – Portland, neither neither LA team. I'm sorry, neither LA team scaring anybody in the playoffs. Mm. Even if I just Anthony Davis is so unreliable, he's so passive, Daz. And I, I just, how many years do we have to see him bubble shooting fluke aside? Right, how, we've seen nine years of him just sort of be passive and invisible, and he just is not a leader of men. When LeBron is out, Anthony Davis feels like Andrew Wiggins. Just. You cannot be relying on Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony to win them games. And that's what they're actually doing with LeBron out. And it's an embarrassment if you're Anthony Bloody Davis or a fan of that team. So if anyone with the head in their shoulders is not afraid of the Los Angeles Lakers 
Um, so I'm with you, 100% with you. Um, now, Horala Bob Vulgaris, you know, pegs Minnesota to finish in the sixth seed. Uh, I, I don't know what sort of algorithm he's using, but um, other than flashes of Anthony Edwards' brilliance, um, that team is um, probably our saddest chugga-chugga dumpster fire. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry, New Orleans. You're the biggest chugga-chugga dumpster fire at one in nine um, on the season. But you're right. Teams who had the chance, I guess the point, teams who we might have said could could surprise this year, you know, the New Orleans, um, Minnesota uh, were on that list, Portland, Sacramento on that list. They're they're either meh or or down in the tank. So. Well, the, to quote the immortal Dennis Green about the Timberwolves, they are who we thought they were. Without <laughs> 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 any doubt. And then you've got, I mean, with New Orleans, someone said, I don't know who said this. I heard it on another pod the other day, but it was like, why are we panicking about the Pelicans? Like maybe the best thing that could happen to them is that they do end up with one of the worst records. Get a high draft pick again. Again. Resign Zion because he's he's injury prone. He's not going to risk you know, going in the free agency uh, and getting another major injury. Try and get him fit and come back next year with a healthy Zion, a healthy Ingram, another top draft pick, and then unle- unleash us ourselves on the league. I mean, it's not oh completely to be on. I, I don't love it, but it's not completely beyond the realm um, of possibility that it could end up being a good thing that they get that, another top draft pick. But it, it, geez. Yeah, you know that ownership, right? That sounds like fantasy league. That sounds like 2K thinking like that That ownership group. Um, well, the season's already gone. On. There's no way the season's this, lost. this season's they, they've, turning around. Well, they and they sort of all self-inflicted the way they handled Zion, and just so self-inflicted. And you just have to wonder what, how did David Griffin get so far in over his head? Was he not? Again, I was one of those people who was visibly, vocally upset and frustrated that my Milwaukee Bucks didn't take a look at him when he came on the market back before Giannis signed the extension, right back when this. You know, we just um, we just gotten Budenholzer. I'm like, how do you not take a look at a grown-up executive like that and to come, you know, change your franchise's fate? And my goodness, Daz, the the missteps that he's had um, are innumerable. Injuries aside, just the handling of Zion, the way he's handled Ingram, letting Lonzo Ball go for nothing, overpaying Devontae Graham, missing on Jackson. Jackson Brown, Jackson Hayes, whatever. Kyrie well, letting Lewis Drew Holiday go. Like, they didn't have to Drew, let Drew Holiday go. Yeah, and getting Drew Holiday to get, what, the number 27 draft pick three times. You know, I mean, the only thing you'd say about that, him. I guess it was a bet that maybe Giannis leaves and that term goes in the tank, but it was highly well, again, what a complete, what a complete misread, right? Mm. Even the even the most nervous of Bucks fans weren't that nervous, right? And we're 8 million steps removed from what's actually going on. It's like, what an unbearable misread, you know, to just, you know, what a, again, what a perfect pairing he would have been, you know, not that Zion's been healthy, but you, one doesn't, one wonders, you know, what is his motivation and fitness been different if he'd had a team around him. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, Des, your, your, your height, your, your, your meta point was the West is, has they actually finally, after how many years Des seated, you know, seeded um, power to the east. And I think it's hard not to look at the top of the east, you know, and say, yeah, I think you think the top, the top of the east is better than the top of the west. Oh, I think the middle if of the not- east is better. I think the entire eastern conference is better uh, than. I mean, even if you look at the worst teams in the NBA are Houston, New Orleans, and maybe OKC. 
at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, Orlando went in and beat Minnesota like a drum uh, last week. So Indiana's know, in way Minnesota. better. They're way better than their three and seven record. The Celtics with the Celtics are four and six, the 11 seed. So I think you're right. The Hornets are a nine seed. Toronto's playing out of their mind. The biggest surprise is, sorry, just to maybe finish this off. Like, I don't know how this happened, Daz, but if we just had to pick your biggest surprises of the year, it would have to be almost all teams in the East. Chicago, you know, exceeding expectations, the Wizards exceeding expectations, the Cavs and the Raptors in particular, right? Like, who'd have thought these teams we probably had, I probably had pegged as 10, 11, 12 kind of teams are all, you know, top eight. Well, I had the West teams in the morass. And I think what you're finding is they're beating the Western Conference teams. So, and that, that's where the, that's going to play oh, out. And the Wizards yeah. are, they're legit. Like, they are a good NBA team. Like, they're not going to win the title or anything, but it wouldn't shock me if they finished a 4-5 seed and maybe won a round uh, come the playoffs. You know, they they are, with Dinwiddie, looks really good. And Kuzma's playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, Harold's back to six-man-of-the-year top form. Like they're a legitimate NBA team, and then they're going to be a you know, frisky team come playoff time. On what planet is the Lakers better with Ross Westbrook and not <laughs> KCP, Kuzma, and Harrell? Like on what planet? And this is the complete misuse of, of Montrez Harrell as well. Like it just, and they blame him for it. Like are you, I just, it yeah. just makes me, it just frustrates me so bad. So you're right. Yeah, good on, good on the Wiz, man. And who, when did Kyle Kuzma learn how to rebound? Like he's, he's like playing, double digit. Like, well, he looks the taller, does. He looks like he's seven foot tall. He something. looks taller. <laughs> he might have got to be the shoes. A, he might have had a Giannis uh, Gravesford in the offseason, went on the Giannis yeah. diet. Christ. So, but, well, uh, look, a yeah, taller point. Mother, so you, must, yeah. you must be impressed with uh, Wiggins. Wiggins' form, because you're finally getting his name right. He's no longer Anthony Wiggins. He's now Andrew Jesus, Wiggins. I know. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> So finally. he must have finally does his respect uh, after all those years in the league. It's good to see. San Diego Padres second baseman in the 80s, Alan Wiggins, still plays for the Oh, Warriors Alan Wiggins, staff. that's right. Alan Wiggins, that's right. <laughs> Played with my man, Tony Gwynn, and here we go. Yep, we'll just... be better take the microphone and end this. It's been a fun week of basketball. Yay, East. Um, it has. And... Yeah, I'll give you some homework, Daz. So tomorrow, Wizards, uh, Bucks, or maybe you're still not that keen on watching the Bucks uh, until something, until uh, they get some players back and get a little bit of um, a little bit of continuity. Well, Drew's back. Season. Drew's back. Yeah. Yeah. Warriors Hawks could be a fun one. Uh, that's you know try against Steph. Uh, you might see some shot making there. The Sixers play the Bucks as well this week. Uh, but if you want to talk about a couple of teams that have been a bit uh, frisky in the East, the Cavs play the Wiz uh, on Thursday. That might be a good one to catch. And the Grizzlies and Hornets, two fun young teams. So there's a couple of games, does on Thursday that we might keep an eye on. Uh, and then when we when we get together next, we can report back and, and see what we saw in some of those games. Yeah, terrific. Terrific. Yeah, yeah. Bucks Sixers will be... I don't think Brooks going to be back. And that's also kind of like Michael Porter Jr. level worrying in Milwaukee actually is the back injuries for these big guys. But uh, yeah, um, teams starting, we're starting to learn who these teams are, aren't we? So it's seasons kind of coming into clarity. Small samples are starting to erode and yeah. Um, I well, just it was a good weekend for that. As I said, it was a good week for that. I kept saying to you that look at this game and this game and we sort of started to see, well, who's legit? 
and who's maybe not legit. And then these Western Conference teams keep falling away and you're sort of thinking they don't look very legit to me. Uh, and the Eastern teams are looking looking better and better as the weeks go on. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? My goodness, how, how the, the tide has turned. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, so I was always a big AC Conference guy, as you know, Dad. So uh, it doesn't surprise <laughs> Stop me. <laughs> right. Uh, I've, got, I've got 112 podcasts of evidence to <laughs> argue that point. But yeah. All right, sir. Uh, okay, mate. No worries. But we'll talk again soon. See you, buddy. Have a good week. Thanks, Des. Bye. Bye. Took the charge and there was no foul call.